So for three months, there's no Bischoff, there's no Russo. WCW is trying to find itself. And Mark, you know, it's a very tough time for all of us. We're trying to do things, throwing things against the wall, see if they'll stick. And it's a very tough time for our families, for all of us. We just don't know what to do next. Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, do you realize, I'm just looking at the calendar over here on the wall, do you realize we've been doing this now for over half a year? It is crazy, brother, man, and, and I think it's having an effect on me, at least. I don't know about you, but, like, in on my body, like, in, in real time, it feels like it's the summer. Like, it feels like we should be out at the beach or having a, a luau or, or some other such contrived uh, summertime activity, but in WCW time up here on the satellite, we're, we're in the midst of spring, so, like, my whole body clock slash internal temperature is, is, is out of whack. Yeah, and for me, I know when we first started doing this, it was like, ah, I'm doing this fun, silly podcast thing on the side. And then I now realize it's been six months of me explaining this show to people. (laughs) Do you tell people in your personal life about this, or is this a secret that you hide away from the world? I don't think WCW should ever be a secret. I think (laughs) that it is my mission to to find fellow uh, believers in WCW. And, and, you know, to the extent where uh, when I'm on Twitter – and it's uh, hump day, and, and people are you know tweeting out their women crushes on Wednesday. I'm like, hey, don't use those three letters unless you really mean them. And there's only one uh, use for those three letters in conjunction, and that is when you're talking about world championship wrestling. Oh, no. Those, I get thrown for a loop every time that comes up as well. Like I'm just so happy people are going to be talking about Buff Bagwell. But nope, they're not. Not even Medusa. And but- I, I show, yeah, I show up looking for... Uh, you know, Harlem Heat, or I show up looking for Disco Inferno, or, or uh, Alex Wright, and I immediately have uh, pictures of uh, Instagram models, and I don't know why. You know, Nate, I, I just, that's why I love you. you. You always find that positive spin, even though I am languishing over here. We've now done this for way too much time. It, it, we've dedicated more than half a year on this at, at this point. Uh, but you know what? You've got the positivity surrounding uh, World Championship Wrestling, and our guest today, our, our guest test subject, is the same way. Honestly, I thought this was the perfect ep- the, this was the perfect guest for this particular episode. Uh, he is the editor of With Spandex, which is Uproxx's pro wrestling vertical. Uh, Brandon Stroud is with us. Brandon, thank you so much for uh, stopping by the Satellite of Hate. You are very welcome. And I also try never to keep WCW a secret from people in my life. Uh, <laughs> I like to tell a story about one of the greatest, most embarrassing moments of my entire life. Uh, my buddy Chris True, uh, .biz, Mm-hmm. Uh, he books a, a comedy festival in Austin, the Moon Tower Comedy and Oddity Festival. 
uh, and I was a performer on it one year. And afterwards, we're sitting at like a really fancy bar in Austin, and it's like one in the morning, and we're all drinking. We're sitting at a table. It's me, Chris, and four of the most beautiful women you've ever seen in your life, and we're all having just a great time. And Chris, in an attempt to put me over, leans in and goes, ladies, I need to tell you something. This guy right here is the best pro wrestling writer on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and their faces just went white, like a like a giant semi-truck had just pulled up in front of them to murder them. Uh, <laughs> that was the end of that night. So, no, I don't ever keep WCW a secret. And I also look for Alex Wright uh, every Wednesday. I look for Alex Wright most days, and I've never found him, so... <laughs> Uh, so, Brandon, this is usually where I ask people if they were watching WCW in the year 2000, what their relationship with WCW is. But but I think we both know what that is. Uh, I mean, you, you review you're, – you're the only person maybe crazier than us. You're actually reviewing every Nitro from the very beginning. Uh, you're in like 97 mm-hmm. or you, have you crossed into 98 by this point? Uh, I'm currently in July of 1997. Uh, okay. I uh, Let's see. Right now, uh, I'm writing up the episode where Rowdy Roddy Piper rips off Ric Flair's pants, <laughs> insulting his sexuality. Uh, that one's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I've been a WCW kid from the beginning. Uh, I was born in Danville, Virginia, which is about 45 minutes from Greensboro, North Carolina. So uh, I was born in the heart of horseman country. Uh, I was at Starcade 85 when I was a little kid. Okay, so when I was a kid, I loved the NWA. And I thought that the WWF was super fake. Mm-hmm. Right? I thought it was like cartoon characters. And wrestling is kind of ridiculous anyway. I, I <laughs> cheered for guys like Sting, and I cheered for guys like The Juicer, and I cheered for, <laughs> you know, I cheered for those guys. And I was like, this is kind of stupid, but it's wrestling. It's fine. Uh, and I always thought, you know, my, really, my only exposure to WWF programming was Saturday night's main event for the longest time. So I would watch that in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling on Saturday mornings. And I was like, this is fine because I like wrestling, but, mm-hmm. you know, I like my wrestling because, you know, Dusty Rhodes is getting his eyeball poked out with a spike. And mm. that seems like it's really high stakes <laughs> instead of, you know, Andre the Giant pulled a chain off of the dude's neck. Like, there's life and death, like blood and gut stuff going on here. And this this feels more like a thing that I'd be interested in. Uh, it's the difference in watching, uh, it's the difference in watching, like, Game of Thrones and watching scrubs you know it's like one of them they're both really <laughs> fake but i don't really want to watch guys making like wanky hand gestures about everything i want to watch wrestling <laughs> it says wrestling on the marquee damn it i'm like, <laughs> like yeah wrestling i'm a I'm smart anyway so by like 2000 i was just like i was a very very jaded very like up my own ass like wcw is fine wwf's fine i love michinoku pro vhs tapes like that was me. You know, I got into tape trading when I was nine because of the great Muda. Mm-hmm. So I'm like a 10 year old getting pen pal tapes from Japan. Not the safest thing. Wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> but, you know, so that progressed. And by like the late 90s, early 2000s, I was like, yeah, you guys can watch that. I'll watch these ECW pay per views and I'll watch Michi Pro and I'll watch Toriumon and I'll watch, you know, 90s All Japan and I'll watch, you know, Dream Slam 2. Like, I was just so up my ass. And people think about my ass now, but, like, I am a happy, old, happy man now. <laughs> just like, wrestling's fine. Roman Reigns is a good worker. Uh, but back in the day, I was just like, death to Hulk Hogan. Chris Benoit is the only wrestler. Uh, so, I, <laughs> so the only way that I even got close to changing allegiances to the WWF was the Radicals. Like, when yeah. Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko and Saturn went over, I was like, okay. That's when the switch kind of happened for me, yeah. 
Right. So I never really switched my allegiances, and I still haven't really switched my allegiances. I went to WrestleCon this year, and the people that I met were like Tony Schiavone and Glacier and like Mean Gene and Medusa and like all the people who are just like from Nitro. Mm-hmm. So that's just still what I like. I don't really get any enjoyment out of pro wrestling unless I'm watching 1997 Nitro. It's really weird. So I'm still kind of stunned. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, read Lolita, but I'm very much that. <laughs> I saw my wrestling girlfriend drown when I was 14, and I really like matured past it. No, I mean, I, I, I think that's a, a good point. Maybe not necessarily the Lolita one. I, I, no one's brought that up on the show so far, but hopefully not, not the last time. Uh, I, I, I agree. I think that how, how many young, rabid fans like you just described yourself as, how many of those are being created today? How many you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids are turning into Roman Reigns matches and getting that passionate about pro wrestling? Or is it just a phase? Because I think it is just a phase for a lot of people. Unlike in, in the uh, you know, 2000 and earlier, I think a lot of lifelong fans were actually created. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is be that, like, disgruntled old codger who's like i'm the only person that knows how to be a wrestling fan but like i think that pro wrestling when the wwe took over took over in quotes like i feel like they just changed what it means to be a wrestling fan because Mm -hmm. to be a wrestling fan now is to enjoy moments rather than Mm -hmm. to enjoy like the emotional stimulus response because wwe is very much like here's the guy you like buy his t-shirt buy his action figure give us all your money now watch him do one thing and the story around it doesn't really matter. Uh, so, you know, we don't really care how Roman Reigns beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. We just care that Roman Reigns beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania and now it's his yard and that's all they care about. They don't care about who, what, when, where, or why. It's just, this is our moment. And I think that's, they're the fidget spinners of storytelling. They're just like, here, hold this thing and it'll spin around in your hand. <laughs> and that's that's kids today. I mean, that's, not to insult kids today, but that's just kids today. That's kids who are just drowning in media who have, you know, YouTube clips and, you know, everything they could possibly have at the reach of their fingers. Like I can go on WWE network right now and watch any episode of nitro ever (laughs) in the best HD quality as many times as I want. Like I can go online and watch wrestle war 92 if I want. And I used to have to like dig a VHS tape out of like a box in my attic to find that, Mm -hmm. you know, I used to have to go to, Suncoast video to find Sailor Moon VHS tapes. You know, I, can't, I couldn't just Google Sailor Moon and then watch anything I want ever. And there's that, like, give it to me right now. I don't really care about anything else. There's no real, like, work or effort to it. And again, that's not to, like, insult kids. It's just that's the way that it is kind of now. Mm-hmm. And as the watcher of generations, uh, I like to say, and I'm just getting myself over with that, uh, <laughs> my new t shirt is available on prowrestlingpeace.com. <laughs> Uh, but no, I just I think that's the way it is now. It's just what we enjoyed changed. We were it, and then it changed, and now it scares us. I think that's the truth, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the way it is, and it sucks. But at least we have a network full of the old stuff that we like watching. I kind of am just waiting for World Class to catch on, and for World Class Championship Wrestling to be the new hit thing, and for the Von Erics to come back to life. That's pretty much all I want. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got really like philosophically deep. I apologize. No, it's okay. That that's 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 our our brand. So yeah, Brandon. I mean, like uh, that that's a lot. But that that's so that's where your head was at in 2000. <laughs> but uh, real quick, we want to take a pause and take a look at where the world was at in the year 2000. And just uh, real briefly, gonna look at what was on the top of the musical charts the day that this episode aired. And uh, 
as we established before, Nate, uh, Destiny's Child still reigning supreme at the top of those charts. Instead, let's see what's happening over on the rock charts. And the number one song on the rock charts at this time period was Kryptonite by Three Doors <laughs> Down. Now, what jumps to your mind? We will obviously uh, ignore what uh, I think Three Doors Down is most famous for having done in the last uh, year. But let's talk about where they were at in the year 2000. <laughs> uh, see, Three Doors Down, I always got them confused with Matchbox 20. Oh, we all look the same to you? Is that what you're saying, Nate? I mean... No, Three all... Doors Down was like Three Doors <laughs> Down was like Matchbox 20 if Matchbox 20 smoked cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because like I, I mean, like whenever I, and and I, the the way I kind of distinguish them is if I sing enough of their songs, if I sing ten songs, out of the collective two groups, nine of them are going to be Matchbox Twenty songs because Matchbox Twenty had the bigger and better catalog. Uh, three Doors Down, this this kind of was it. <laughs> well, I've got a ten minute response right here about Three Doors Down. No, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I remember. I remember. Kryptonite, and I remember that they are losers, and sooner or later they're going to be dead. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. Uh, I don't know. Three Doors Down. <laughs> I don't know. The rock charts after like 1988 are just the saddest thing ever. Well, there's the. Uh, they did the song "If I Could Be Like That" for American Pie Two. That's and right. And it has one of the. It has one of the best movie tie-in music videos. You know where you have those music. Uh, those film tie-in music videos where they have to feature so many clips from the movie uh-huh. and so the basic idea is that they're performing this song and then people show up and then they start watching the movie on their laptops and they start projecting <laughs> the the movie onto like a bed sheet but the thing is that this takes place over the course of 12 hours because the sun sets so the only logical plot is that these <laughs> students were invited to watch three doors down play a song all day they got bored, started watching a movie on their laptop. The sun went down, their laptop died, and they set up a projector to again watch select scenes from American Pie 2. Of course, all the while ignoring the fact that I don't know if you could watch a movie on a laptop at that time period. <laughs> yeah, I think the key of movie tie-in videos will always be Weedus's Teenage Dirtbag from the Loser soundtrack. That one's pretty. I don't know. For me, uh, my 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 money will always go to "Kiss from a Rose" by Seal because it plays as though he's singing to Batman, and he's just singing in front of the uh, the bat signals the whole time. Oh man, what, what? Why were those Batman movies so bad, but the soundtracks were so good? Because I think on that same was that Batman and Robin. That, that, no, that was Batman from? Forever, which had like that U two song okay. and it had the Flaming Lips yeah. song on it. Yeah. And uh, what didn't have a uh, Method Man on it? The Riddler. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I love yeah, and, and uh, the U two when when Bono was like playing three different characters, oh, mm-hmm. hold me, hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. That was it. And then Weird Al did a did a parody about a dentist using it. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's 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 talk more about uh, Batman. Like why why didn't the, why didn't why didn't Nolan get into the whole soundtrack thing? I think that could have really improved the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, but when he was making those movies, do you really want 2005? It'd be all like Avril Lavigne tracks if they'd been going. It'd be Lil yeah, Wayne just, and Avril Lavigne. Lil Bruce Wayne, like on Gotham. <laughs> uh, 
Guys, from from what I can tell from all this Batman talk, we really don't want to talk about this episode of Nitro, but but we've got to. It was a special one. It was a clips episode. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in, because even though this was produced in the year 2000, this really wasn't an, uh, a year 2000 episode. With the screams and cheers of the fans echoing in the background, this week it's an entirely different WCW Monday Nitro, because this week the arena is dark, the ring is empty as we bring you this special edition of Nitro here on TNT. The show begins with a panning shot of empty seats, so a typical Nitro in the year 2000. (laughs) Tony fills us in on the theme of tonight's episode. It will be a two-hour celebration of Nitro's history. Um, First, before we even jump in, what did you guys think about this setup? Essentially what it would be, it would be Tony and Madden in this empty arena, which they never identified which building it was. I'm curious what arena it was. They would just toss, they would talk, you know, wax poetic about the past of WCW and then throw to these packages. What did we think of this approach for this episode? Well, I had a question for you, Brian, because they were in an arena, which was empty. And so was this the arena that was booked for this Nitro if they had (laughs) gone through with a regular Nitro? or, Or was this just like somewhere they happened to be? For a second, I was like, maybe, but I mean, flying a film crew to like Massachusetts or wherever they were supposed to, would have made no sense. What I, if I had to assume they probably did, giving them a little bit of credit, I mean, the CNN Tower where WCW was based out of was right next to the Omni, and they wouldn't make it, it wouldn't be too hard, I don't think, for them to be able to go in and shoot in the Omni for an hour because that's literally how much time I think this took. Was yeah, it that a... makes sense because I yeah I was just like they 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 flew Tony and Madden and a crew out to sit in this dark arena yeah which I'm sure <laughs> it had to be paid for well my thought on it was that it was green screen because they have like a panning shot of arena seats but then Tony and Madden never really move they're just sitting on stools so they're not really in the arena per se right like there's just not to say, but, but the footage didn't look green screen to me. Uh, so I think they actually were physically in that building. And this was before the Phillips Arena had been opened. And I think the Omni, I don't even know if, know if the Omni was even open. This might have been like a weird period of time in Atlanta where the, because mm. Phillips Arena wouldn't open until June, I don't think. So yeah, if I had to guess, I mean, Omni is what I would say just because it would be right there and they could easily get in one morning and set up a crew and, and, and knock this out. But what do we think of the overall, uh, the approach to this show? I want to talk about how weirdly Inception I am participating in this podcast at the moment because (laughs) we are a podcast about 2000 Nitro watching two guys sit and talk for two hours about (laughs) 2000 Nitro. (laughs) Uh, I'd also like to point out that Tony Schiavone's dressed like a mime without the makeup. He's got a long sleeve black sweatshirt and black pants. Uh, and Mark Madden just kind of looks like a Hershey kiss with Jeff Foxworthy's head. <laughs> <laughs> the man shaped like a Christmas tree. I've never seen anything quite like it. Uh, he's like Southern Kevin Smith. It's wonderful. <laughs> and of course, on the next episode we do, we get to see him shirtless. So looking forward to that. Uh, well, I, I like this though, uh, Brian. I think I wish more companies did this uh, in, in terms of obviously this was for a specific reason because we right. had to have this week where we were dark. But I do wish more companies did kind of like a best of or a year in review because I think TNA did it one year uh, when they mm-hmm. did the uh, knockouts New Year's Eve show. And in between the knockouts matches, they'd have like the top three or four best matches of the year. And I think Sting and AJ was like the number one match of the year, which is why I remember it so well. Uh but like to give incentive to people that 
may not have bought the your pay-per-view or in the WWE's case may not have bought your network like here's some of the stuff we've been doing this year here's the best of let's put our announcers in some tuxes and and you know this is what we did last year and maybe that'll get you invested and enthused to uh purchase some stuff from us next year oh yeah, yeah. that's something that i that i missed that was a typical thing i i remember if you uh, a couple years ago WWE both it's like two weeks in a row, it was New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve that both episodes landed on, and they just pre-taped both of them. And for me, I was I was like, why didn't you guys just do, do a clip show? Let these guys have, like, the night off. And that's what they used to do. They the last Typically, the last two episodes of the year, Nitro and Raw, would a lot of times be reruns if they fell too close near the holidays. Well, NXT does that now. Like, if you right. watch the last episodes of the year of NXT, it's always, like, Renee or... Kathy or whoever just standing there and being like, it was a great year, and they just do that. So NXT does it. Maybe they just aren't as important. <laughs> Our first look back uh, is, of course, the moment that WCW was created, the signing of Hulk Hogan. Uh, did you Ugh. guys know there was no WCW? This company did not <laughs> exist. There's zero history that predates Hulk Hogan. He is, he is the <laughs> BC and the AD of this company. The thing that got Eric Bischoff off on the right foot that started the success story that would be WCW Monday Nitro. And what would that be, Mark? We both know what that was, brother. The signing of Hulk Hogan, the greatest drawing card in wrestling history. Yeah, uh, my favorite part about this retrospective, not to jump too far ahead, is the fact that they also pretend like they invented Hulk Hogan. Yeah. They're like, Hogan signed, and then he was propelled into the stratosphere as a big star. <laughs> and he got into making movies because of this. And it's like, that's not really what happened. I, again, as a WCW kid, Hulk Hogan signing was the worst day of my life. Because I was like, oh, we lost Stunning Steve. Oh, we lost Cactus Jack. We lost Ricky Steamboat. Hey, at least we got the Nasty Boys and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You know? <laughs> it's just like, oh, cool. All the people that I like have left. And this orange goblin has shown up to just scream cartoon bullshit at people and beat up Ric Flair and just make everything super phony. And he did. And it was terrible for like two years. Yeah, I was never like the, the biggest fan of Hulk Hogan. Obviously, I'm not a big fan of... uh one uh, brother Terry Bollea now for other reasons. Uh, <laughs> but, but like, as a fan at the time, like, it wasn't something I was interested in. Like, I I was not invested in the Hulk Hogan character on WCW until the NWO. Like, that was the only time the guy was interesting to me. And so when I saw this at the top of the, you know, history of Nitro special, I was like, okay, it's it's going to be one of those nights. So this recap video starts with Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan signing their contract for the Bash of the Beach match in 1994. Um, a Flair-Hogan promo exchange. Not much has changed over the past six years for this company. <laughs> this this episode literally started the exact same way that uh, one did a couple weeks ago. Uh, all, all that was missing was uh, the Yappa Pie. You know, we, we didn't have any <laughs> Yappa Pie name drops. Uh, this is followed by some variation of the Hogan Ask Kiss montage that we've all been watching for 30 years. Uh, but... I will say, for those watching along at home, let's do something special, Nate. Let's do a Hogan Bump Challenge for all of these packages. What do you think? Ooh, I, I don't think we've ever done this before. This, this no. Be, uh, it's fitting of this special occasion. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. So, Brandon, if you don't know uh, what this is, what we do on the show is we have something called the Hogan Bump Challenge, where we take wagers to see how many times Hulk Hogan will take a bump during a match. Uh, typically, it's uh, anywhere between zero and one. But tonight, we're going to be looking at several matches. So uh, you're our guest. We'll let you take uh, the first wager. How many bumps do you think we're going to see Hulk Hogan take throughout this evening? And we see a lot of Hulk Hogan matches tonight. 
Are we talking about in the actual matches themselves or in, in the, the actual pack- matches? Taking a flat back bump in in in, in matches and in packages. <laughs> wow. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a lot of him wrestling Ming, and a lot of him wrestling Arn Anderson. And I know that Arn Anderson beat him twice. He beat him two weeks in a row on Nitro. And I know that Ming loved to beat him up for about thirty seconds before <laughs> uh, before Hogan sort of kicked in. So if we're talking about all of the matches combined, mm-hmm. fifteen. Oh mm. wow! Ooh, that is total. total. I think you. I, to, I think you might be thirteen over, but okay. What do you think, <laughs> Nate? Yeah, I think uh, uh, you know, brother Brandon, new to the the uh, HBC uh, as we call it, uh, <laughs> is a little overboard. I'm gonna go with give me seven bumps. Okay, I'm gonna say four. I'm gonna go four. In all of the matches ever? In all the matches that we see tonight, we're going to see him do four bumps total. <laughs> in, in, listen, in the year 2000, he's he's averaging one per match. <laughs> Back in the empty arena, Madden puts over the launch of Nitro, and Tony tells a story about eating at Pasta Mania. We then go ringside at the first Nitro with announcers Eric Bischoff and Steve Mongo McMichael. Mongo has got to be the Rob Bartlett of this first Nitro, right? How many people <laughs> do you think remember him being a part of this show? I love Mongo. <laughs> Mongo had so much enthusiasm. Mongo, if you compare Mongo to like Mark Madden, I would take Mongo 100 out of 100. Mm. Because oh, yeah. Mongo was kind of a yokel, but it was mostly in his accent. It was mostly just like, listen up, baby. I'm going to tell you about Nitro tonight, my friend. Look at my chihuahua dressed like a skeleton. Like he, <laughs> he, was, he seemed stupid because of his enthusiasm and his accent, but he desperately tried to get everything over. And... Once you get into the 2000s, everyone's so, like, above it that they're not really, like, putting any effort into it. Like, the video package at the end of this very Nitro is like, how are they going to use Hulk Hogan in the booking on the next show? And it's just like, come on, give me Mongo just being like, this Jushin Thunder Liger is a great wrestler, my friend. You know, I remember <laughs> that. He was yeah, also one of the... Yeah. He's, he's kind of uh, got a little Don West thing to him, where neither Mongo, <laughs> like, neither Mongo or Don West are the classic ideals of a color commentator but what they lack in skill and polish they make up for an enthusiasm and and i agree with brandon like i would rather listen to you know 90 minutes of mongo on these nitros we watch every week than uh mark madden's character like which does nothing for me yeah and he's also one he's the rare kind of outsider obviously he was a football player first but he's He's the rare outsider announcer who came in and wanted to be liked. So many times these guys come in and want to be the heel. They want to, you know, shit on everything. Or you got an Art Donovan who doesn't know what they're talking about. Mongo came in and wanted to be liked, which was, uh, gotta give him credit for that. And he's dressed like a Navajo woman's wall. He's fantastic. <laughs> uh, the thing about Mongo is his wrestling is a lot like his announcing, where he had so much knowledge and enthusiasm, but he just, it didn't really, it wasn't what we wanted to see. Because if you watch Mongo through 96, 97, Mongo's doing some really good work. Like, Mongo is put in charge of wrestling Reggie White by himself for 15 minutes. And he gets a good match out of it. And he wrestles Kevin Green a bunch. And Kevin Green's this weird, like, idiot savant pro wrestling genius. And Mongo's just getting these great matches out of him. And he got stuck in that dumb Deborah Jeff Jarrett storyline for four and a half years. And just them hitting each other with metal briefcases every week. But he did it. Like, he did it well. He was never the guy who was, like, screwing up that bad. And I know you've got the botchamania, like, here comes Mongo. But, you know, that's moment to moment. That's situational. Mongo tried harder than most people. 
And I think that showed, and I think that showed in his announcing as well. I'm I'm a Mongo backer, and it might just be because I love anyone who holds a tiny dog who is dressed in costume. <laughs> the first of many matches on the show was Juice and Light. The first of many Juice matches on the show. <laughs> yeah, Juice and Liger. Yeah, he's muscular. The first of many matches on the show was Jushin Liger versus Brian Pillman. The opening match on the debut Nitro. Um, I, we're not going to go move by move in these. Uh, this was a really good match, and I would suggest most people go back and actually watch the full thing. But what I would really want to talk about here, what really struck me about this episode, maybe a point of contention here, I hated that this episode was from the Mall of America. There's just something about a continuous stream of people on an escalator not paying attention to your show that really makes you seem low rent. Mm, I hardly disagree, brother man. I That's, I, I know people are going to have opinions. <laughs> I, I I I get what you're saying in the sense that you know you as opposed to an arena where everybody's stationary, you've got these moving. It just to me like, it and, feels and background like, players. It feels uh, like the show's an afterthought as it's go. It's like you have Luger coming out, but there's people going to like the Great American Cookie Company behind him. <laughs> it just doesn't uh, feel like they're the center of attention. But see, the reason I I like it you know, those points aside is that this whole show was about being different. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kicking it off with Jushin Liger and, and Brian Pillman. We've got Lex Luger showing up. You thought he worked for the other guys. Wait a minute. What's he doing here? And and you got this setting, which is very atypical in pro wrestling. And I thought that for a one-off show, particularly the, the debut, I thought it worked. Yeah, I take it a step farther. I would say that more wrestling shows should be like this because it sort of illustrated wrestling fans not paying attention to what's going on and then being drawn into the show because the show's exciting. So the crowd gets like a little bit bigger as it goes on and the escalators like stop working at some point and people are just standing on them. Uh, I think it, it added it. And I think one thing missing from WWE is WWE is so into their own branding that right. they, they're never a part of where they are. Like, if they go to San Antonio, they'll just be like, look, here's a short video of the Riverwalk during the commercial break, and now here's the same, like, homogenized, globalized arena that you see every week. And even the pay-per-view sets are exactly just raw sets now. They're just with different graphics on them. And I feel like a wrestling company that truly understands its audience is going to go to these places and sort of adapt to those places. So I think a show in the Mall of America is great. I think those spring break nitros were great. I think the shows on the beach were great. Road Wild and Hog Wild, other than the giant like collection of racists, was a good idea. <laughs> so it's like I think it adds character in a way that no one really pays attention to. And it's something that I love about Lucha Underground and it's something that I loved about Wrestling Society X. Uh it's just there are these shows that happen in these places, and the places are as important as, you know, what's happening. I think Full Sail NXT has that going for it, and I'm kind of disappointed that when they go to big arenas for NXT TakeOvers, they just make it the WWE arena. I feel like if there was something truly, like, iconic about it, then WCW was ahead of the curve. I think they kept their, their branding, but they were like, look, we're a part of the wrestling world. The wrestling world isn't defined by us. And I think that's what made stuff like the NWO work, and that's why I love the show in the mall. It was corny, and Mongo was corny, but wrestling's kind of corny. I kind of dug yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love taking those risks. I just felt like this particular one didn't pay off, and, uh, you know, just the last episode we did was the spring break episode. And something mm-hmm. that I actually has kind of been in my mind for a while, and I want to throw your way since you live in Austin, mm-hmm. uh, how would you feel if instead of doing a spring break thing – they actually came, WWE came to South by Southwest and did a Raw and SmackDown from South by and was like outside. And because South by, you know, is a pretty 
corporate-friendly environment now. It isn't the risk of going to, like, a debaucherous beach during the middle of, of spring break. <laughs> um, do you, how, how do you think that would, that would play off? I mean, maybe you could even do a concert afterwards that maybe you streamed on the network, maybe you didn't. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that would work? Do you think that would be a good idea for them to try? You think they'd get Three Doors Down to play? <laughs> that would be really great. Uh, <laughs> and Kid Rock, future WWE Hall of Famer Kid Rock. Uh, Lucha Underground did a show from Austin and South By, uh, Austin mm-hmm. Warfare, and it was fantastic because they just treated it like a South By event. Uh, it wasn't like, look at us being the focal point of South By. They were just like, we're a part of this thing that's bigger than us, and we want to show you our cool stuff. Uh, so I think that if the WWE came and didn't globalize the hell out of it, like if they mm-hmm. added some kind of like, like the tribute to the troop shows. Like if they right. did something like a tribute to the troop show, but they actually got enough wrestling fans in and then surrounded it with like the, the curious observers. Uh, so it's not just people on their phone the whole time. Uh, I think that could be, I think that could be really special. Uh, I don't think they would ever do it. Like if they could do a show from auditorium shores, uh, Garth Brooks did a free concert here not too long ago at auditorium shores. And if you're just like, Hey, it's a free event outside come you could probably get 70,000 people to just come stand and watch mm-hmm. a wrestling show and it would be a great image uh and you'd look like you were part of American culture rather than this standalone like publicly traded soulless just mm-hmm. busk of a wrestling promotion which they kind of are which is why shit like Cena and shit like Roman Reigns it, it's so hard to connect with people because they're not connecting with people they're connecting with investors and they're connecting with images and moments and they're connecting right these like outlines of what wrestlers are supposed to be because they want to sell stuff and that's fine. But if they want to be a true part of the world, they got to be a part of the world. And I think Nitro did a really good job of that for a while. And I mean, that's it. I think WCW, uh, I think it's fair to say they maybe did it too much. They maybe had too many shows where they weren't charging people to come in. They, you know, they maybe <laughs> didn't advertise things too well in advance. Uh, you know, we just had spring break and it was kind of crazy that we realized they didn't advertise a single match for it. And of course they make no money because people just walk up. But I think WWE, I mean, if they're going to flush away their entire pay-per-view business for this network, what's the harm in doing one free show a year that attracts 70,000 people and gets you a visual that, I mean, that that might be worth, you know, more than the, than the you know, the one night, you know, 10,000 people you would have crammed into some civic center, uh, you know. Sell a bunch of merch, you know. Yep. So uh, also shown are highlights of a Sting Flair match that certainly outdid the one that we saw two weeks ago, Nate. Uh, so, uh, while we only get, uh, a few highlights of Sting and Flair, we are forced to watch the entire Hogan versus Big Bubba, uh, in its entirety, <laughs> featuring one bump from the Hulkster. So, everyone, we're on the board. Hulk Hogan has taken one bump. I believe he took a, a side slam, uh, in here. So, there we go. Uh, uh, Brandon, you only got 14 more to go, and, and, and the crown oh, is yours. Are we not, are we not including the clips of matches that they showed in the Hulk Hogan video package? Because that's what I was going with. I was including the matches that were shown and also the clips of the matches that were shown. Yeah, I don't think he took any bumps in that package. It was him. Like I was watching it. I think it was just him beating other people up. It was people running into his foot. That's what I was asking. if we were talking about the entire matches that were shown. Okay. No, I, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not going to go so back and watch. Fine. No, I'm saying all the, all the bumps we've seen, we see in this show. Oh, well, can I, can I change Do you want to revise? You can revise. Oh, God. Then uh, one. <laughs> oh, okay. You think this is it? This is it. This is the only one we're going to see from tonight. I would say that, yes. Our next segment concentrates on the expansion of Nitro to two hours the next year. Uh, this highlight package features Scott Hall's debut, Sting versus Scott Steiner, and for some fucking reason, DDP versus Craig Pittman. <laughs> Things then end with Hall's promo promising that he's taking over. 
So you guys were obviously uh, both watching Nitro at this point. How did you feel when Scott Hall came on? Because this is a debut that obviously has been trumpeted a lot uh, after the fact. But at the time, this was something very fresh. What was your reaction to it in the moment? This was genuinely one of the few, you know, holy crap moments in my life in terms of pro wrestling. You know, and, and Brandon talked earlier about how this was kind of an era where the curtain was being pulled back and the scales were kind of falling from the fans' eyes. And so, you know, it, it was hard to kind of fool us and trick us. But this felt, if not authentic, this felt real. Uh, and I know those are similar words, but in the sense that, you know, if, if they weren't explicitly WWE guys, it certainly had that sense. And so, you know, seeing uh, Hall show up and subsequently Nash in the weeks to come, like it was a big deal to me and my group of friends at the time. And, and so, yes, your, your slander about the great uh, Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pittman aside, like this, <laughs> this, this was a, a, a memorable show for me. Yeah, Craig Pittman had a really good match against Kurosawa on Nitro one week, just randomly, where they just beat the hell out of each other, and it was great. And anyone listening should go back and revisit it. It's from 95, I want to say. Craig Pittman ruled. Anyway, um, Craig Pittman looked like Rock from the show Rock, like Charles S. Dutton as an army guy. (laughs) He was great. Anyway, uh, my feeling on it was very similar. Like, It was a big deal. But my favorite part of it in retrospect is the fact that WCW only pulled off their greatest trick twice. In the 80s, uh, I don't know if you remember Bill and Randy Mulkey, uh, but the Mulkey brothers were the worst tag team of all time, and they basically only existed so that the Midnight Express could, like, murder people on TV. Like, the Midnight Express would just beat them to death. And just on one random episode of World Championship Wrestling, the announce team was like, tonight we got the debut of the best tag team of all time. They're called the Gladiators. They've won titles all around the world, and they're coming here tonight. And they built them off the whole show, and then the Gladiators wrestled the Mulkies, and the Mulkies pinned them. And it was like, oh my god, what just happened? And it was this huge deal to people like me, who were like kids, who were just like, oh my god, wait, the, the cool new team lost to the Mulkies? Uh, and that was recreated with the Scott Hall thing, because that match that was happening was Mike Enos as the Mauler yes, versus Steve Dahl, of all people. And... They were like, here's the Mauler. The Mauler is the hot new star in wrestling. The Mauler is going to kick this guy's ass. Look at the Mauler. And then, like, Mike Enos comes out with, like, Colonel Parker managing him. And they're like, he's the Mauler. Look how good the Mauler is. And then Scott Hall in a Canadian tuxedo wanders out of the crowd. And you're like, holy shit, what? What just happened? The Mauler wasn't the point at all. Uh, And I love that. And they never do that anymore. And they haven't really done it since. And I, I loved it. I was so focused on, like, okay, what is the deal with the Mauler that just this, like, <laughs> Razor Ramon, like, the diamond stud wandering out of the crowd again. Just like, what? So I loved it a lot. Uh, it also taught me what a Canadian tuxedo was. Now, I, I think the next section here was dedicated to cruiserweights. The ropes weren't purple, so I can't be completely sure. Uh, the focuses of this <laughs> video were Eddie Guerrero, Dino Linko, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, and He Who Shall Not Be Named. Now, this video was made in 2000, so of course it featured the stuttering video effect, which I don't know why the fuck you would do that when these were the smoothest workers you had in the company. Like, do that with a Luger package to, to hide his, his, his immobility. Uh, but still, it was great to see these things. And, and throughout the night, I, I guess the thing that I really liked about this episode um, is that I liked that this was WCW telling its own history, which mm. the network is packed with WCW stories. 
But to see WCW telling their own history, and because they went out of business in the way they went out of the business, and they, they didn't make a lot of documentaries. So all up and down, I just loved watching WCW pay tribute to their own history and letting them tell their own story. And this is really cool because for most people, you know, if, if you ask them what was the highlight of Nitro in the mid-90s, uh, most of them are going to say the Cruiserweight division and, and a lot of those names that you just mentioned. And looking at this Cruiserweight division as opposed to the divisions that would follow in other companies, it, it's almost like the Super Soldier Serum in Captain America. Like mm-hmm. it worked that one time with Steve Rogers and then every other organization whether whether it's the nazis or hydra or, or somebody else they they try to make their own super soldier sam and it never works and, and so you know we we've seen uh the x division which had a run for a little while we've seen numerous cruiserweights and light heavyweight divisions in the wwe which almost always never work and it's like there was a reason that this worked at this time and i think it's a combination between the talent that was there but also WCW didn't treat these guys like an afterthought. No, they weren't getting, you know, the main event matches, but the Cruiserweights were a special attraction that you got to watch every week, and I think that's why they're they're so fondly remembered. Yeah, the Cruiserweights are what changed me from, like, a normal Southern wrestling fan into, like, I got to go on the internet and find out about everybody ever. Because, I, like I said, I got really into the Great Muda when I was a kid, and I, I got some tape trading, but that was mostly, you know, uh, New Japan from the time, so it's a lot of Chono and a lot of, Kinsuke Sasaki and guys like that. But then, you know, Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, Psychosis and uh, Hooventude showed up in ECW and they were just doing this crazy stuff I'd never seen before. Uh, And it became, it was like, here's a different kind of wrestling. And part of the problem with WWE Cruiserweight Wrestling, uh, you touched on just a second ago, is like, they treat it like it's just more of the same. They're like, you like WWE Wrestling, right? Here's some smaller guys doing it. And it's like, that's not the hook. The hook isn't that it's guys my size doing wrestling. It's that guys my size are doing wrestling that's crazy and new and fresh and outstanding and and weird. That's what made the Cruiserweight Classic work, but didn't necessarily make anything after it work. Um, I did think it was weird that Benoit was included in the Cruiserweight package because Benoit was never really a Cruiserweight. I mean, he was a Cruiserweight in size, but he was never in that division, really. Uh, a, A severe lack of super calo. (laughs) <laughs> will always be my vision of the WCW Cruiserweight division because it was like, I'm going to go out here and just jump until one of us gets hurt. Well, I think also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this this episode aired uh, pretty close to WrestleMania 2000, so I think they also wanted to remind people, hey guys, the Intercontinental Champion used to work for us. <laughs> oh, one quick note. Uh, you were talking about WCW telling their own story. One of the things that I find incredibly interesting about this episode, uh, having gone back and watched it before this podcast, was that WCW kind of shit talks themselves the whole time. Yes, they're entirely. Like, they're like, we got a wrestler, we got a writer from the WWF, so things are going to get better. You know? Yeah, no, like, no. I watch I documentaries think... now, and I get really depressed at how WWE, like, revisionist history is like, WCW was always terrible, and then the <laughs> WWE finally got big again, like it was always supposed to, and we put them out of business. And it always feels really, like, condescending, and then I watch WCW tell their own story, and they're like, that's exactly right. Actually, perfect segue. Tony and Mark say that even at this point, Raw was still kicking their ass, but Bischoff had something big up his sleeve. Why? This was, of course, the NWO, the four-year build-up to the Harris Boys. <laughs> Nation Hall's initial reign of terror and Hulk Hogan's heel turn are shown. Uh, we all know this story. 
Tony and Madden then engage in some crosstalk about Hogan's reluctance to turn heel before throwing to even more NWO footage. Now, um, this is obviously the time in the show where we can stop and pause and uh, talk positively about the NWO. So, so let's do that. Uh, <laughs> this was great. I love this. Uh, the NWO was really the thing that made me a fervent wrestling fan. I think that, honestly, I think that without the NWO, there, there would be no wrestling boom. There would be no Stone Cold. I think this was really the thing in Hulk Hogan turning is what really energized people and made people uh, take a second look. I think without this, if, if, if everything had happened as it did in WWF, Without this, I don't know if, if Stone Cold would have organically turned casual people's heads. I think that it was this that really lit the fire, and uh, it was great. It got me It got me uh, really hooked. I mean, I was already kind of watching, but this is when I started buying merchandise. This is when I really started caring, and I wanted to see this because it wasn't just that it was the, ooh, you don't know what's going to happen. I think a lot of people took that, and, and that's the complete wrong lesson to learn. It was exciting. It was engaging. And you actually did know what you're going to do. You actually did know what you're going to see each week. You're going to see something. You're going to see something crazy from this group. So Ooh. you knew what you were paying for. You knew what you were showing up for. You just didn't know how it would be done. Yeah, I don't think it's ever been really said by either company how important the internet was to all of this. Uh, this created the internet wrestling scene because people watched TV. And they were like, wait, crazy stuff's happening. I had no idea that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were going to show up and that Hulk Hogan was going to turn. How do I find out about this stuff? Oh, the internet knows? Let me go on the internet and talk to other wrestling fans about wrestling. And it created this fervent like fever and sense of urgency with wrestling fans instead of just like, oh, I'm watching my stories. It was like, this is like an industry that I need to know about. So that, I think, contributed deeply to the boom. And I don't think anyone's ever given it credit because that's why the competition got big. People were like, which one's mm-hmm. better? Is Goldberg better than Steve Austin? Who would win in a fight? You know, like, what if DX and the NWO fought? And Like, now we're real jaded and used to it about everything that happens in pop culture. We just go on Twitter and we read everyone's thoughts on it. But back in the day, like, it wasn't that easy. So when cool stuff happened on wrestling, you were like, I got to go tell everybody I know on the Internet about that cool thing that happened on wrestling. Mm. I think that, that really that really made stuff like Hogan turning a big deal because otherwise you're just watching wrestling. Like I don't remember uh, telling all my friends when Ron Garvin turned on Dusty Rhodes, you know, but <laughs> that happened on like TNT in 1998. I might have. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like WWE especially has never like leaned on the fact that like they succeeded in creating a buzz because of this new medium in creating buzzes yeah they they definitely were the the right group that came along at the right time and you know i've always been a fan of, of stables and factions brother man like i love the von erics i love the Freebirds. i i love the four horsemen the uh, I, I i well i was gonna say dudes with attitudes <laughs> because for whatever reason i just love that dustin rhodes was hanging out with sting and the junkyard dog like i just <laughs> They're, they're dudes with attitudes. I mean, what do you, what do you want? Uh, but you could make the argument that the NWO was the most important faction of, you know, this, this generation because of what it meant for the business. And this mm-hmm. was something that was, was so hot. And, and I think, unfortunately, uh, because we have the benefit of hindsight, we know what it becomes. <laughs> so they're, they're, you know, our, our kind of view on it, on the group might be sour at times, but if you're just talking about the initial formation in that first year of the NWO and, and how hot it got, and then, you know, when you bring in the outside super superheroes, uh, superstars, I mean, I guess Jay Leno's kind of a superhero. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you got Jay Leno and Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone and people like that that all want to be involved because of how hot this thing is right now. Uh, I-, I thought that, man, it was it was captivating television and it made you want to watch every week. And that's probably I was always a Sting fan, but that's when I became the biggest fan of Sting. Ironically, is when he was fighting the NWO because you wanted you needed a hero as as a viewer, and I think that's something that maybe we lose today and maybe current viewers lose because when we kind of know what the tricks are and then so there's not the emotional investment but back in 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 the mid 90s i was just like every week i was i was a freshman in college and we we i want i was gonna say break into uh but that seems a little nefarious (laughs) but let's just say we didn't have uh permission to be in the college campus radio station but we had access uh and so we'd go in there every monday night and watch Nitro to see what was going on with Sting. And, like, all that would happen would be, you know, the NWO's doing something crazy and Sting's in the rafters or or Sting sends down a crow or, or Sting gets a sign and points it at, points a bat at the sign with J.J. Dillon, and that was it. But we were hooked every week because of, you know, what the NWO meant at the time. Yeah, I remember buying an NWO shirt, like, right as soon as they were available because uh, there was a show in my area not too long after they formed. Uh, and I remember buying one and wearing it to school and having people make fun of me because I was wearing a wrestling shirt. And then <laughs> within like a year, everyone coming to me for like wrestling knowledge because I was the cool wrestling guy because wrestling had gotten popular all of a sudden. Yep. So It's very just, rare you can call yourself a cool wrestling guy. Right? And, never, and that was when you could. Never, never <laughs> again. Uh, but yeah, at the time it was like, hey, instead of you just sitting by yourself watching Nitro, eating like a foot-long sub and drinking 12 Mountain Dews, like why don't you come over and hang out with like the cool older burnout kids and we'll all watch Goldberg and it'll be cool. <laughs> So it, it gave you a sense of community, and I, I the NWO oddly did that. Yeah. Now, of, of, of course, the NWO was just an appetizer for Sting. Nate, how many Kleenexes did you go through uh, during this video package? I mean, this is a very emotional for me, Brian. Man, and then you know, oh, that's not what I was insinuating. I mean, I, I know what you're insinuating. I just <laughs> took it in a different path. I just. You're not the wheel man, Brian. I, 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 saw, I saw what path you were going down, and I just uh, corrected the course a little bit. Uh, <laughs> because, yes, that, that man called Sting is great, and we don't need uh, your smut around his greatness. <laughs> you never see characters doing this anymore, completely overhauling their characters, and it's succeeding to such a point that they just stick with that. I mean, we're, it's 2017, and we didn't just see Biker Taker at WrestleMania. We should have. Biker take a rule. <laughs> I just want Fred Durst back at WrestleMania. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, rewatching it is interesting because uh, back in the 97, which is where I'm at right now, uh, Sting was very much like watching Lost because mm-hmm. they would introduce like a new character quirk or he'd do something weird and you'd be like, I wonder what that means. And then you'd have these big conspiracy theories about like, well, he rode Diamond Dallas Page up to the ceiling like a horsey that one time <laughs> with bungee cords. <laughs> so what does that mean? And he's pointing bats. And what does it mean when he turns his back and like lets mm. you hit him and you choose to hit him or not hit him? Uh, why does he wait until DDP's taken seven Macho Man elbow drops before he shows up? You know, what does any of this mean? Why are there decoys? And none of that really ever got explained. Like, ever. It just like Lost, where it's it's more mm. about the journey than the destination, especially now that we know where the destination goes. And the ending was quite disappointing. <laughs> just the saddest moment in the history of wrestling is a fast count that wasn't a fast count and seeing just mm. getting 
to like 30 seconds into a match that he waited a year for. But at the time, it was such a mystery that you were like, okay, this is going somewhere. This is going to build. Eventually, he's going to come back around. And frankly, WCW deserved to not have Sting because they were like, Sting's in the NWO definitely every week. And he was like, nope, I'm not. <laughs> and they were like, no, yes, you are. And then Lex Luger falls for Cobra dressed like Sting because it's raining. It's like raining outside, and he's like, that was definitely Sting that attacked me, even though he was like six <laughs> inches shorter and not my friend. Uh, so they didn't really they didn't really deserve to have Sting, so he had like a justification, so it wasn't like he was abandoning them and he was a dick. Like, they needed to learn a lesson, and they never did. Mm. And But you thought they were gonna, and they would like situationally. They'd be like, okay, now we need you, Sting. We understand. And he'd show up and that's <laughs> and then they'd be like, Larry Zabisco would be like, but he's wearing black and white. That means he's in the NWO. Uh, my Larry Zabisco sounds like a Sesame Street character. <laughs> Tony. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I loved Sting. I was a little stinger. Uh, I still prefer Surfer Sting to Crow Sting, but Crow Sting is cool. And, you know, aside from taking buckle bombs in 2016, he's my favorite wrestler ever. So God bless him. You know, honestly, like, I, I love Crow Sting, of course, and, and uh, Surfer Sting was dope. My favorite variation of Sting, besides... Don't say Joker Sting. Besides, Don't say Joker Sting. I was going to say, besides Joker Sting, because I loved when he was the, the TNA commissioner, to, tell the truth, Terry, and just <laughs> smushing stuff on on Hulk Hogan's face. I love that. But but it, it was probably like that middle period where they had that doubt that Brandon was talking about, and he started growing his hair out, and it was brown. <laughs> yeah. And he had like this weird... Good guy Sting, but he was good with an attitude, which, and not like a dudes with attitude attitude, but like a real pissed off attitude, which to me was like the fatal flaw of the Surfer Sting character is that he was so naive and gullible. But like mm-hmm. this thing was, he had all of the athleticism and the charisma of Surfer Sting, but he was kind of a jerk too. So I, I, I dug like dark haired in between transitional Sting. <laughs> yeah, and he'd have these great matches with Dean Malenko and stuff while, like, Hogan's wrestling Big Bubba. And you're like, I like this guy more. Uh, odd, odd fact, uh, I've dated more than two girls who had a crush on Sting, but only specifically, like, dark hair transitional Sting. Yeah. <laughs> He's a legend. I don't know if he even understands it. Like, if he would come back as Surfer Sting, but with the dark hair, he would be Justin Bieber. I don't know. <laughs> By this point, Nitro is... Like, old like, evangelist Sting is, like, a Tiger Beat magazine. I love it. <laughs> By this point, Nitro is beating Raw in the ratings, and Nitro is now celebrating its 100th episode. The main event of that show saw Luger winning the title from Hogan, but only to lose it five days later, so the whole thing was kind of a waste. But more important, though, than that title change, Hogan took two more bumps in Ooh, this huh? video. What? Yep. He took some clotheslines from, uh, from Luger there. Oh, forgot about Luger. We're now over an hour into this recap uh, package, and WCW has just now remembered that a guy named Goldberg works for them. <laughs> Madden says that Goldberg proved WCW could create new stars, and, and wouldn't you know they did it so well they never tried again. <laughs> this led to footage of Goldberg's first match against Hugh Morris, a mere 20 years before his Universal title run. Tony then tells a story about not knowing anything about Goldberg before his first match. This led to a highlight pack of the streak, and boy, was this thing. I think they might have shown every single one of his matches that he had. The video also included Bill's title win over Hulk Hogan, which means one more bump got in the book. They showed us the jackhammer. Uh Uh-oh. Not 
Not a single moment was missed from Goldberg's run. For some reason, they even included his WCW cologne ad. (laughs) (laughs) But no, Goldberg, I mentioned NWO, but Goldberg was without a doubt my... He was my... I was the biggest Goldberg fan. He was the guy. He was number one. I remember I even visited him uh, at 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 a... auto show like a uh, signing i got i got a goldberg so- uh, signature i got a picture with them my parents put that picture on a t-shirt that i would unironically wear to school uh, i remember i even asked him if he would come over to my house for dinner that night i was a huge goldberg fan uh at, at the time did goldberg come to dinner G- well guess no he didn't he, he, <laughs> oh, really he was sad. the sydney poitier of that of that dinner oh that's sad uh yeah goldberg was was great. Uh, uh, shout out to Glacier who got the best Goldberg matches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, we haven't talked enough about Glacier on this podcast. Glacier is the most. Yeah, fun. unfortunately, there's no Glacier uh, in memorium here. There's no, no Glacier Coach highlight Buzz pack. Stern. There needs to be Coach Buzz Stern. Where is he? Anyway, I don't uh, think. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I don't know if Buzz Stern had happened yet, but I think it had actually. <laughs> no one remembers. It's fine. Uh, yeah, Goldberg was great. Uh, I think WCW did a great job of creating new stars. They just didn't follow through with them. Like, they didn't know what to do with them once they had them, and Goldberg's really the only one that they, like, did well. Because all those guys like Jericho and, and Rey Mysterio and Benoit, like, those guys who found WWE success later, like, they were stars, you know? Like, they were. They just weren't a huge deal because WCW was never like, okay, now we understand. So, I don't know if those guys like made their own stardom on their own terms and WCW's not to blame for it, but WCW certainly gave them the platform. So I feel like I feel like that's a fair assessment of it. Goldberg's really the only one who got monster trucks though. You know, there was like, a disco inferno monster truck. <laughs> That's how you could tell someone was a main eventer in WCW if they got a monster. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, you know, piggybacking off of that idea. I've been, you know, we got a lot of free time here up on the satellite. I hate Brian. So uh, in addition to watching TV shows like The Flash, I, I play games. And, and one of the games I've been playing lately is uh, Star Trek Timelines. And, you know, you got to build up your crew. And, and to me right now, it feels like Goldberg is the only Picard of the bunch where they actually took the time and invested <laughs> time and resources into making sure this dude would be able to, you know, handle anything thrown at him. Everybody else is just a random collection of Tuvox and Ensign Rickies and, you know, one star, <laughs> one star uh, Bones McCoys that you, you know, they're good <laughs> and they got potential, but you never really take the time to make them good. And so... I, I I dug this 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 look back at Goldberg because yeah people forget like they they actually took the time week to week and and invested in this dude and it paid off because for a time he was as popular if not more popular even though it sounds blasphemous to say uh, in hindsight uh, you know he was just as popular as Stone Cold Steve Austin at the time and mm-hmm. so like I thought this was this was great my only issue with the segment though was Mark Madden saying you know one of the few stars we created and that's like a bigger issue i had with the show like i didn't i didn't understand if we were supposed to be if this was in storyline or if these guys were shooting or what what type of weird blurring of the lines we were going for from our commentary team tonight oh i took this i think that was i just took this as a straight shoot documentary i I, they weren't acting in character at all i didn't think I could have used a little more acting, though, is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, same, same. I mean, Madden didn't uh, sexually harass anybody at any point. <laughs> they should have had, like, a PA walk in front of him just so he could, uh, you know, get out a couple uh, coochie-coos. Hey, don't worry. We, we've, got a, we've got a Nitro Girls segment coming up. So in that <laughs> Star Trek comparison, does that mean that uh, David Flair is Wesley Crusher? 
Oh man, David Flair is like the Wesley Crusher. It's, it's like not even a. It's like he's like not even good Wesley Crusher with the prodigy <laughs> stat on it. He's like. <laughs> Terrible, random, common Wesley Crusher that you have to combine like four Wesley Crushers to make it one <laughs> decent card. Uh, and and it's, it's no slight against David Flair as a human being because I think he's a he's a good dude. But uh, his uh, we Brian and I have talked about his work uh, on on this show. Now Goldberg's title win really was the final high point for this company. So how do you fill the remaining thirty minutes? You talk about all the celebrities who appeared on Nitro. <laughs> TV's Arliss. Dennis Miller, Jay Leno, and Jay Sasso were all name-dropped. <laughs> They've put it off long enough. Uh, they must acknowledge that this company now sucks. Tony says that Eric was burned out while Vince Russo was single-handedly saving the WWF. <laughs> if you weren't aware that Eric Bischoff was back, uh, this next video package really did the trick. A title card states Eric Bischoff had a lot of problems to deal with, what followed was a supercut of every excuse Bischoff had used to explain for the failing ratings. <laughs> Hogan got hurt, wrestlers faked injuries, Scott Hall went to rehab, and there was backstage drama with Ric Flair. This was capped off by an in-character segment where Eric Bischoff flat out said, I did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect capper, though, to this video was Tony ending it by saying, some of us forgot that Eric couldn't walk on water. <laughs> What an interesting, I mean, they obviously had to acknowledge it. This is a tough period where the company is not doing well. Um, but I think, I don't know, it's one, over and over again, TNA has acknowledged, hey guys, we're not, gonna, we're not doing well and we're going to turn it around. I think that, maybe I'm giving them too much credit here, but I think one of the things that really helped WWF and WWE through some of their, their leaner years, some of their really rough senior years, they never acknowledged the company wasn't doing well. Mm -hmm. They still acted like it was the biggest thing around, and part of it was because they did have a monopoly. Um, but I don't know. What do, you th do you think it's good to acknowledge, for them to acknowledge, be honest with the customer, or is it better to just sort of you know, sail forward because acknowledging the problems just draws attention to it? Yeah, absolutely not a good idea. I think you need to dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So you have to be like... You know, if a TV show has a bad season, like Community, when they had their gas leak season, you know, if you make a joke about it and you move on, people are like, uh, okay, that's fine, I guess. And there's just, it's, you've acknowledged that you're not good and you should never put yourself over as second best. Like, especially in wrestling where image is everything. Like, you can't yeah. be on a show and be like, WWF was kicking our ass and now we're terrible, but we hope we'll get better. That's why nobody takes Impact seriously. Like you said, Impact every couple of years will be like, no more playpen rings, brother. And it's yeah, like, okay, I, I, everything that you just liked is terrible. Yep. And, and I think there's a difference in, you know, from something like a, a, a columnist or something like, you know, a blogger or, or even podcast where you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship almost with the listener or the viewer or the reader. That's a different relationship. But if you're in company, if you're a uh, company that's in business to make money, let's not forget the bottom line here is to yeah. make money and be profitable. You should never come across as, oh yeah, the, the stuff that you've been watching and, and maybe possibly paid for the last 365 days has been garbage. No, you you can say we're going in a new direction. You know, you can say this yeah, is a yeah, new yeah. a new era for WCW, but the constant kind of, yeah, you know, we, we used to be great, now we stink, and this savior from the, from the WWE, this savior from New York is going to... Uh, put us on the right track it it 
it's not a, it's not a good look. And, and as somebody that's been watching TNA for so long, like I think part of the problem with it is, and I don't think it's intentional. It, it can't be intentional. I don't think anybody would be this clueless. But the more you tell somebody we're not good, the more they're going to believe you. And mm-hmm. the harder it is for them to overcome that impression that you've given them. Have you seen those Domino's pizza commercials where they're like, uh, like the person's taking an order over the phone and they can't do it right. And they're like, we know you've had trouble ordering from us in the past, but now we're going to make it work with like <laughs> online ordering. It's like, sorry that our delivery was trash before and that our pizza sucked, but now we've got fresh ingredients. Like what well, are you I doing that... Domino's pizza? You're burying yourself. Though I will say that they're saying that in an ad and they're approaching perspective uh, customers. This nitro was watched by nobody. Uh, it's essentially an unopposed week for Raw. This thing did like a 1.5 rating. They knew no one was going to watch it. So only your heart, your most hardcore fans are tuning in. You're like, hey, we know you've stuck through us for, through uh, thick and thin. We don't know why because this shit sucks. I don't know why that was the message they were sending. I, couldn't you just just do the good days? You didn't even have to acknowledge the, the fall of, of 99 at all. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a thing that happens where like when guys in the 80s would feud with Hulk Hogan, they weren't allowed to talk about how he was bald. You know, mm-hmm. because that would draw attention to the fact that he was a big, bald dude. Or the mm-hmm. fact that when people would feud with Dusty Rhodes, the horseman would be like, Dusty Rhodes, you're like a fat, ignorant redneck, but I respect you and you're a great wrestler. Because if you defeat someone who isn't any good, you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah. So like, you, yeah. I was just going to say, like, the purpose of this show, like you're saying, is to build up for next week. Mm-hmm. is to build up to this big reboot. So instead of, you know, going and saying, hey, we're not that good right now, why not just show all of these great highlights? You know, the NWO and Sting and Flair and Hogan, if you want, and and say, hey, this was great, but the best is yet to come. Even if you don't believe the best right. is yet yeah. to come, that's not what you, uh, you know, you got to, it's, it's like that old Chris Rock joke with Jerry Lewis and the telethon. Lie to me, Jerry. Lie to me. You know, you may not believe that the show's going to be better next week, but as a viewer, it's your job, your obligation to tell me that it's going to be better next week. WCW dead. World-class championship wrestling dead. Mid-South dead. WWE got a full head of black hair. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it's also really telling of just the mind frame that we're in in terms of a wrestling industry in the year 2000 where even though this is a highlight show that no one's watching, they're still afraid to show an entire match. <laughs> they can only show us, like, highlights with music underneath. They were just so convinced that no one wanted to see matches. Whereas I almost guarantee if you just announced we're going to do a two-hour Best of Cruiserweights episode, probably would have done better because at this time period, unless you were recording shows, there it was – you couldn't just go back and rewatch these episodes. Like it, it, there was no network. Uh, if there was a great epi- if there was a great Nitro from a couple of weeks ago, and you heard there's a great match, you're just kind of out of luck. So I that's a, I just I didn't understand why we didn't just show like a full match. Show us a full match at some point as a, as a, a, the crown jewel uh, at some point. I think that would have been a better use of this time period than just hey we got to acknowledge that our show is, is is shitty. Yeah, and I think that one of the reasons that ratings are never going to get to the degree that they were during this era is the fact that there are so many options to going back and watching it now like if you mm-hmm. in 97 or 98 or even 2000 if you missed a nitro that had a great match on it you were out of luck and you would just you'd have to like find it somewhere on tape or something and it was really hard and impossible but now like if you don't want to watch smackdown 
when SmackDown ends, you can go on YouTube slash WWE fan videos or whatever and watch the finish of every match on the show instantly for free with no drama at all. So there's no consequences to missing the show, so you can just miss any show you want. And WCW and the WWF at the time, like part of what made Crash TV work, I think, is the fact that it, there was so much happening and you had to watch every episode to make sure you saw everything that was going to happen. This leads to a recap of Nitro's previous relaunch in the fall of 1999, featuring a DDP, Goldberg, Flair, Hogan four-way for the world title. Uh, Not much of note other than to say that Hogan took one more final bump. Mm. So five. I think Mm. five was our number that we landed on. So, Nate, you won. You were the closest. You said four, right? I said seven. I went over. Uh, listen, we don't do we don't do over under. We're, we're I think we should we should abandon that because I did. Uh, what did I say? Wait, did I say four? You said one. No, you said I. I, don't I know. think you said one. I said one. I should I should have written this down. Listeners at home, tweet <laughs> us and tell us who won. I believe you said two, actually. Okay, which is why I said one because I was like, well, it's going to be even less than that. But I was a fool. So if you thought it could get any worse than Tony Schiavone putting over Eric Bischoff, then you haven't heard Mark Madden put over Vince Russo. <laughs> Tony recalls being speechless when he was told that Russo was coming in. You know, he probably should have spoken up. Uh, this leads to a look of the best question mark of Vince Russo. We get dozens of Jarrett guitar shots, Nitro Girls catfighting, evening gown matches, multiple women in cages, mud matches, Oklahoma <laughs> winning the Cruiserweight Championship, and the Harris Boys. This was supposed to be the highlight. Someone was supposed to watch this and be like, oh, man, I can't wait till this comes back. And they, they took a point to highlight all of the women getting physical with men. There was at least 30 seconds of midnight, including one point where she, like, shoulder tackled Kurt Henning, but also just, like, fucked it up and fell on her own ass. Why was that in there? Why was that in the highlight package? <laughs> man, it's so depressing. Uh, it's so depressing. Just that whole... That whole video package. I I don't know. I feel like it was, again, it was them trying to bury the lead of, like, the new era. They were like, look how bad it was. <laughs> so now this isn't going to be quite as bad. Uh, my favorite part of that era is Vince Russo's off-camera Powers That Be character, where yeah. he came across, like, David McClane on Glow. Where he would just be like, or like on Wow Women of Wrestling, where like Beach Patrol would come in and be like, I want a tag title match, but instead of a match, it should be a bikini contest. And then off camera, David McClain would be like, that's a great idea, bikini contest, coming up next week. Like Vince Russo, like chastising Kimberly for like not shaking her booty or something off screen. Like he's George Steinbrenner on Seinfeld. Just the weirdest choice. First of all, I love David McClain. I think he's like, (laughs) he's wonderful. He's like the Vince McMahon we all want and not the real Vince McMahon. Like, <laughs> like I, I wish Mr. McMahon were just this kind-hearted, kind of pervy old dude instead of a mean-spirited, pervy old dude. <laughs> like, um, but again, you know, you and I, Brian, we, we tend to sometimes go back and have our alternate booking of these Nitros. Uh, shout out to Commissioner Arn Anderson. Uh, <laughs> and I think this might be a first where I'm rebooking a best-of show. Uh, because I think if if you wanted to get this whole Russo and Bischoff thing over, because I know at least offline, uh, or, or excuse me, online, a lot of the chatter at the time in the, in the message boards and the uh, uh, wrestling forums was, you know, how are these guys going to work together? They, they, don't they hate each other and this and that? And so why not just, and, and granted this would have taken 
actual work and production and and you probably would have had to you know have Vince Russo show up for a day but have like clips of Russo and Bischoff talking about each other and talking about their visions for the show and kind of mm-hmm. you know you can make make an interesting little production piece of like can these guys get along can what what is in store for the new fate the the the, the new era of WCW with these two men and then you could have done it that way instead of showing stuff that we know didn't work you know stuff that we know was bad why not at least try to fool people. Again, lie to me, Jerry. Why not try to fool me with the promise of, wow, this could be a really interesting storyline with these two men. In their defense, they had no idea what they're going to be doing in, in a week. Uh, they're actually, at the time, there's the show WCW uh, Live, which was a online uh, radio show, essentially, where, where people could call in. And Vince Russo was on that. I believe it was the night before this episode that aired, and he flat out said that they were going to be doing a faction that he was leading and that Bischoff was going to uh, come back and uh, lead the NWO again. And that was going to be the big feud between the two of them. And because he said it, they then dropped it. And uh, even at this point, Bischoff knew it wasn't going to work out. Bischoff was it saw the way that he was. Entertainment extreme. <laughs> uh, Bischoff knew at this point, it wasn't going to work. Bischoff could already see the way that this guy was putting himself over, was wanting to put himself on television more and more. Uh, but he, for the sake of the company and for the sake of uh, he had nothing else to do, Bischoff tried to make it work. But no, a week before, uh, when this thing was was probably written and put together and edited, they had no idea what the fuck they were doing uh, on the next week's uh, Nitro. That so seems like a better what, excuse than anything to just run a best-of show that's just actual good matches, right? Like You don't have to have any story. You don't have to talk about it. And, and I was going to say, basically, this sounds like the wrestling equivalent to that one Best of Both Worlds album and, and tour with R. Kelly and, and, and Jay-Z, where <laughs> yeah. on paper, it might have been a good idea. But when you get these uh, clashing personalities and sensibilities in the same room, uh, like I think the tour lasted a month before it uh, finally imploded. Tony flat out says that WCW had no idea what they were doing the past three months. However... With the return of Bischoff and Russo, there is now a light at the end of the tunnel, and this company certainly would go into the light a year later. Mark and Tony are in just full promo mode here, and they, they just can't imagine a single reason why this won't work. Various wrestlers then give their thoughts on the new management. Brian Knob says it's okay as long as it makes him more money. It wouldn't. Tank Abbott says only good can come of it. No good came of it. And Flair says that he needs 10 minutes to explain how he really feels about them and that they should call his lawyer. Tony says this is the greatest team WCW has ever had, while Mark thinks that these two just won't be able to see eye to eye. Shivani ends things by promising a new chapter for WCW next week, and of course it would end up being the final chapter. So... This was a very odd segment to look back on. I'm kind of surprised that it has never shown up in a WWE slander WCW documentary ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's this was just very weird. Uh, it's hindsight 2020, but this was in maybe maybe you can call it the pride before the fall. But they were pretty humble here. We know what happens uh, uh, in a week, and we know what happens to this company less than a year later. So it was very. It was very odd watching them uh, wax poetic about something that uh, will not uh, will not return uh, on the investment. I mean, I get it though because, like we were talking about earlier, part of this is not just the nostalgia of the good times, but you also have to sell what's coming up. And so I, I, I thought Brian Knobs aside because I like him. Can we get one damn week where we don't have to talk about Brian Knobs? But I guess no. 
uh, Brian Knobs aside, like I, I, I enjoyed this section of the show because if I'm remembering right back at this time, I had cautious optimism. Like I knew that the Russo stuff I wasn't a fan of, but for whatever reason, I still had some modicum of faith in Eric Bischoff. And so as a fan, I was like, okay, things have been bad, but maybe these two can be this weird union that gets this company, uh, if not back on track, at least get these shows in a more interesting direction. You know, because to me as a fan, like I I wanted WCW to be number one, but it didn't really matter as long as the week to week was compelling and Mm -hmm. you could entice me to buy a pay-per-view like the who's the best company in the world, who's the number one, who's making the most profit. That's not that's not something I got to worry about. You know, that's not something that I had to uh, you know be concerned about as a fan, as a viewer. I just wanted a good show, and we weren't getting good shows, and so I was hoping, um, hoping against hope maybe, that they would be able to come up with some really creative ideas and, and get this company back to, if not the heights that it was once at, at least have a consistently watchable TV show. My least favorite part of the entire episode and quite possibly my least favorite thing that's ever happened in the history of pro wrestling is during this end video package where a Harris twin uh, complains about the 1975 booking style and how they need to like move it into the 2000s. Because what part of the last like two and a half years of WCW had anything to do with 1975 booking? Like, what are you watching Harris twin? Second of all, why is a Harris twin throwing shade on like Nick Bockwinkle and Ric Flair when he's a fucking Harris twin? Third of all, what was? Does yeah. anyone understand what he's talking about? Like, why is he the authority on like booking the show to make sense and have compelling characters and sell seats? Is a terrible idea. Let's make it like an even more on fast forward version of like the shit garbage that we've been sitting through. And, I mean, that that is kind of a negative note to end on. But we always end things here on a silver lining. This is where we choose the one thing on the episode that is unqualified that we thoroughly enjoyed. And, I mean, on this episode, it, we don't have to strain like in past weeks. And we're not going to be putting over Big T's jumpsuit on this episode. There's a lot to legitimately <laughs> like here. Um, Brandon, uh, you're the guest. So, for you, what was your silver lining for this episode? Uh, I thought Tony Schiavone looked really handsome and thin sitting next to Mark Madden. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like a, he looked like a healthy young man. He looked like college Tony Schiavone next to Mark Madden, who's probably twenty years younger than Tony, but looks like uh, somebody put uh, Jeff Bridges in like a fly machine. <laughs> <laughs> it was like if Jeff Bridges did his version of the Nutty Professor, one of the characters right. would be Mark Madden. He's a clump, yes. <laughs> He's a white clump. Uh... My actual answer to that is. Just remembering that WCW did stuff well. Like, nobody really talks that up enough. Uh, they, they're they like, the shows were terrible, but the cruiserweights were good. And they were like, the shows were terrible, but Goldberg was fun for a while. But, like, the truth of the matter is that every wrestling show ever is 90% shit and 10% good. Every one of them ever. Outside of, like, heroes of wrestling. Like, there's always <laughs> something to like and lots to hate. And Nitro for better or worse, had so much good stuff on it and so many talented people working so hard and doing such innovative things and, and changing the game and changing the way we watch wrestling. Like, I don't think there was enough emphasis on the good job that they did. Like, the reason that they competed wasn't luck. It was a good show. And there was a lot that you wanted to watch on the show. 
And I think highlighting that even for a second is a rare thing for WCW because you're never going to see a WWE documentary that mm. phrases this in any other way other than they were briefly getting lucky and then it changed. Yeah, there's a there's a reason why it means something when WWE always talks about winning the war because of the opponent that they faced. You know, it, it's your victory is only as good as the challenge that you had to, that you had to overcome. And WCW, I think people forget what a game changer Nitro was and some of the talent that was displayed on these shows. And so I I think that's my silver lining again to to kind of echo what you were saying, Brandon, is just this look back, man, at at some of the great stuff that WCW did. Uh, Just, you know, seeing Sting in in peak Sting form and, and, you know, I should just show this to anybody that – ever doubted Sting's validity as a Hall of Famer. I'm talking to you, Dave Meltzer. Catch me outside. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's all love. It's all love. But, like, you know, whether, whether you're talking about the Cruiserweights, or whether you're talking about the NWO or Goldberg, these are things that, that mattered, and they still resonate to the day. Like, there's a reason why Goldberg was a big deal heading into WrestleMania. There's a reason why, you know, you got Kardashians out here wearing NWO shirts. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like... WCW as a whole might have failed, but there were some parts that really, really worked. And this was a great episode to kind of, you know, celebrate that and, uh, you know, pay homage, if you will, to what made Nitro such a great show that I don't I don't think anything has filled that void. Like, you know, we had Impact, we've had ROH, uh, you know, we had, you know, the sci-fi version of ECW. Uh, but I guess maybe other than NXT, which I don't even know really counts because it is a WWE production, like there's never been a secondary show that took hold the way Nitro took hold. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I mentioned it earlier, my biggest, my silver lining was really just this whole thing. I loved watching WCW tell their own story, and as many times as the WCW, as many times as the Monday Night War has been rehashed for, for documentaries after the fact, these were stories we never told. They are, these were stories we've never heard. They've never brought Tony Schiavone in to do an interview in Stanford. They've never brought Mark Madden in. So being able to hear Tony Schiavone's thoughts of going to Pasta Mania before Nitro, yeah. uh, the first Nitro, that was interesting. Like These were fresh stories, and it's so crazy to think. When people look at this time period, they just kind of roll their eyes. Oh, my goodness, you've heard everything. How can there be a fresh take on the Monday Night Wars? And then watching this, it's like, actually, hold on. There's, there's so much because we've only heard the story from one side. It's either WWF guys that are going to shit on WCW, people who left WCW and are bitter, or legends that w- don't want to piss off Vince and want to keep their legends contracts. <laughs> it was interesting to hear people in the moment, reflecting, and I just thought that was really great, and I wish that we had more of that, but uh, unfortunately, that really isn't the case. Uh, this is one of the few times that they would allow themselves to to, to have this. Um, See, now I just, I just wish Keith David had narrated this episode, because <laughs> that would have put it over the top. Like, you know, talking about Tony's Pasta Mania story, like, heading into the Booker's meeting. Shivani <laughs> had, a, Shivani had a feeling the linguine wasn't going to be the only thing undercooked this night. <laughs> he had hope in his heart and marinara on his shirt it was uh no i really i really enjoyed this episode um not just this episode of nitro but also this episode of uh keep it 2000 uh brandon thank you so much for stopping by uh yeah, months you. ago when we uh we because nate and i asked ourselves are we going to talk about this episode it's not really a real episode and i was like no let's talk about it and there's 
there's someone we got to bring on. It's it's the it's the person who. Uh, Thank you. I, I would not be surprised if, as a kid, you drew on your notebooks. Mrs. Brandon WCW over and over again <laughs> in, in bubbly letters. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad you could come on. And uh, if there's one guy to just sort of romanticize uh, the short time period this company was around, uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad you were able to stop by. Yeah, I was in love with Nitro Girl Beef, if you remember. <laughs> uh, beef. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's always great to sit and talk about WCW to people who understand the value of it and also aren't afraid to talk about how shitty it was because it was really bad but it was also really good because wrestling <laughs> and we mentioned you are the wrestling editor of uh over at up rocks with spandex and and i agree with uh with chris's uh, assessment you are probably the best wrestling writer out there uh even just doing a recap of a shitty uh uh raw i, I remember there's actually um this was a couple years ago but i still want to bring it up and i i know i shouted you out on twitter at the time but when they did that snow episode where mm-hmm. the, the episode was canceled and you recapped <laughs> an episode that didn't exist and you just nailed what a typical three hour nitro or a three hour raw is so well. Um, but no, I mean, I, I'm surprised. Uh, I don't know how you do it. I mean, the, this show raw now is boring. It's trite. It's the same show every week, but you somehow find a fresh angle and a fresh approach every week. And I, I honestly don't know how you do it. I honestly don't know how to do it either. <laughs> Straight with you. I'll watch an episode and just be like, oh, what do I do? And just sit with my head on a desk for three hours. Uh, but I'm really honored that people still want to read what I think about wrestling and that people like you, people I can look up to, people who have great podcasts can want to talk to me about it. I think that's really cool. And it beats the hell out of waiting tables. So yep. thank you very much for thinking I'm worth the shit and not wanting to hit me in the head with a brick. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, and if people want more of you in their life, where can they find you on uh, social media? Uh, well, they can type Brandon Stroud into the Internet Movie Database if they'd like. Uh, that's my favorite. <laughs> uh, no, I'm on Witspandex. It's uprocks.com slash pro wrestling, I think. Witspandex.com works. Or just go to Uprocks and look for the graphics that have Rowdy Roddy Piper yelling about how he's coming on them. Uh, <laughs> I'm currently writing up an ep- the few episodes where Ric Flair was feuding with a Roddy Piper mannequin, uh, which yep. shockingly did not make it into this Best of the Nitro <laughs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is also during your time period where Ric Flair was a pimp, so he would just be like, "Hey, Kurt Hennig, I like you. Have this woman I found," which was really. <laughs> uh, but you can check out the best and worst of Raw every Tuesday, best and worst of pay per views on Mondays. Uh, I write up classic NXTs. I write up classic NWA from time to time. Uh, I've got a Nitro report that comes up on Fridays. Uh, I do a lot of that stuff. Uh, I have a movie starring Goldust. You can find on Amazon Prime. It's called Meet Me There. It's free if you have an Amazon Prime membership. If not, buy the DVD. It's like eight bucks. Uh, we made it for no money in Austin, Texas. I uh, just finished my second feature film, Seven Hill City. Uh, features a bunch of Lucha Underground references. Uh, and pro wrestler Vanessa Craven has a cameo. Uh, so okay. there's always wrestling dorky stuff going on in that. So check that out. That's going to be in film festivals this year, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Uh, other than that, just Google me. Uh, I'm the Brandon Stroud who's not a rapper or a minor league hockey player. <laughs> no, I uh, yeah, Meet Me There has been in my uh, my prime queue for for longer than I would like to admit because I've been meaning to watch it and uh, I just never have crossed. I'm, I'm always like, am I in the mood for a for a gold dust horror film? And and, <laughs> and I know one day it's gonna click. One day it's gonna click. It's it's a hard. But no, sell. Very... It's a hard sell. My second, my second <laughs> not to film me. I'm is just about like a. a wrestling fan who has an eating disorder who lives in a religious town so none of my movies will ever be a thing that you want to just watch (laughs) on like an afternoon with your friends but they exist so god bless them (laughs) but yeah check it out uh 
Dustin is amazing in it. He's he should be in more movies. I don't know why WWE Films doesn't take the guys who are actual good actors. Like why are William Regal and Dustin Rhodes <laughs> not like starring in movies? You know. So, who knows? Maybe one day well, they'll let me make my Wyatt family movie that the Saskas wanted to work on. Who knows? I'll tell you from firsthand knowledge that the Pandemonium script could certainly use a uh, a rewrite if you want to <laughs> give if you want to give that a shot and see if they'll uh, they'll hire you on spec. I do not give that a shot. Thank you. <laughs> Brandon, thank you so much for stopping by. And Nate, this is uh, it's now time for us to say goodbye. Obviously, if you want more of us, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Maxman and all the other different Instagrams and Snapchats and wherever. Also, if you want more of this show, we specifically designed this show to be binged. If this is the first episode you're listening to because we're getting the Brandon bump, if you want to go back, listen to the other episodes, go to lawradio.proboards.com. There is a thread there you can you can listen to them all get caught up before our next episode nate which is uh this is the big one we've coming up this is uh it, i think this is actually coming up the actual first episode of this podcast this is when it gets real interesting russo and bischoff are back and uh i don't want to spoil it. we've got it we've got a good guest we've got a big <laughs> guest to join us uh for next week's episode uh but until then nate give the people the knowledge they need uh until we're ready to to take that dive Yes, of course, you know, again, shout out to Brother Brandon for joining us. And uh, if, if you guys want to talk to me about the greatness of staying, hit me up in the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K, at Nate Mosaic on Twitter, because uh, I've, got, I've got time for that. I'm, I'm here for any and all uh, Sting commentary and, and discussion. Uh, but this has been a, a great week, uh, not only looking back at the highs of WCW, but also you know, kind of looking over the cliff, looking over the edge and getting ready to go into the great unknown, even though we know what's going to happen. So uh, I'm going to leave us with the words of Three Doors Down uh, because they had they had more than one hit, Brian, man. And uh, the words I'm going to leave you with are the, the, the wise words from the song Here Without You because we should all remember the good times we have with people, places, and things. The miles just keep on rolling as the people leave their way to say hello. I've heard this life is overrated, but I hope that it gets better as we go. Because I'm here without you, baby. But you're still on my lonely mind. Here without you, baby. But I think about you all the time. I'm here without you, baby. But you're still with me in my dreams. And tonight, WCW, it's only you and me. It's a slot. Shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this, this, this.